0: 10, 9,
1: ignition sequence start, 6. Hi and welcome to Launchpad, Rocket Fuels Fuels interview series with members of the Rocket Pool community and people in other protocols who are building relationships with Rocket Pool or integrating Rocket Pool products into their services. Today we have Teddy, who is a co-founder of Notional, a DeFi project. That is on the verge of releasing their version three. And version three will be featuring um, RETH and RPL quite heavily in their stack. So I'm really excited to have Teddy here and um, get to know Teddy and also a little bit about Notional and what they're doing with um, Rocket Pool. So, um, Teddy, um, welcome to Launchpad. Welcome to Rocket Fuel. And um, can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Like, who are you and when did your crypto journey start?
0: yeah thanks thanks for having me i'm really really glad to be here Um, yes so i can tell you about myself so um i started my career i i actually don't come from a technical or a technology background um so i i come from a finance background so i uh started my career as a interest rate swap trader so i worked um in London, I worked for an investment bank, Barclays, and uh, I traded interest rate swaps there for for about four years. And um, I started, so I started in like 2015, 2014, I think 20, 2014, 2015 in Barclays. Um, and I really like, I really enjoyed trading and like, I really liked, um, I really liked the risk-taking aspect, you know? Like I, I really enjoyed like, uh, you know, the market's moving and like, it's just really, it's very engaging. And I always found that, um, uh, I always really liked that about trading. Um, but I think what I was like, there were a couple, like, um, there were a lot of things that I, I didn't like. And, and I felt like, uh, you know, I wanted something else kind of out of life. Um, and so I can like, you know, put together a list, like, these are all the things I was thinking it was like, you know, one, it's like, there's very like I found like I was it was intellectually boring. Like it just wasn't like I, you know I, I wasn't like intellectually engaged in what I was doing. Um and in the beginning that wasn't such a big deal, but it really like as I was there for longer, like it just really started to like gnaw away at me. And like I I, you know, it became a bigger and bigger deal. And it's one of the things that I really like about working in, you know, working for notional. Um yeah. Uh, but so there's like, you know, I, I didn't feel it was like very intellectually engaging. Um, I didn't think like, you know, uh, um, the industry had like a, uh, super great future. It felt very analog. So like when, you know, as a, as a trader at a bank, um, all of my, whenever all my trades were by voice. So like, literally I would pick up the phone and like talk to another human being And like say, hey, I want to like buy you know five hundred million this at like this price, and like that's how it was done, (laughs) you know. And like this wasn't like nineteen seventy five, right? This is like twenty fifteen, you know. And it's like, and to me, like it just it just felt like, man, like I'm on like the wrong end of history, you know. Like it's that's how I felt, I guess. And um, and then other you know, and then kind of last thing I'll say is like. I, I just, I hated working at a bank. It was, it was, uh, uh, it's just extremely corporate and like uptight. And um, I just really didn't, I didn't like, and it was just very boring. Like is, I don't know. I and So one of the, you know, when I, when I moved into crypto, um, one of the things that I, that I really liked immediately was just how weird all the people are. Like, that was like one of the things that just instantly attracted me to crypto. It's just like, you meet just like, weird just characters you know like i just i always loved that um so so yeah so i was working there and and i was kind of looking for a way out and just looking for something else to do you know yeah. and uh then you know 2017 happened and it just crypto just like you know overtook mainstream consciousness mm-hmm. right and um i'd heard of crypto before and And I'd never like used it or like, but, you know, or really engaged with it at all. Um, But then 2017 happened and it just like, it kind of got me. And like, I, so I started doing all the, I guess, all the things that everybody does when they first, when they first, you know, uh, start learning about it. You know, I was like reading blog posts on Hacker Noon and I was like listening to podcasts and um, I, I actually didn't have Twitter. So I was, I was not on crypto Twitter, but I was like, you know, trying to like learn about what a blockchain was and learn about smart contracts and all that stuff. And uh, I just I felt, you know, like I knew like I felt that it was obviously wildly speculative and crazy and like, you know, none of this stuff made sense or like you know, most of the stuff didn't make sense, but I just had this feeling that like. There was something real there. There was something to it, you know. And yeah. uh, um, so I, I wanted to get in, and I got in at like the exact, you know, like the from a price perspective, the exact wrong time. Um, I uh, so I, I took a job in 2018. I was um, I was the trader for like a family office in London, and I was trading crypto and I was making markets for them in crypto. And uh, we did that for, um, you know, I think 12, 18 months. And, and basically over that 12 and 18 months, like the whole thing died. and like, mm-hmm. you know, if you if you were around in 2018, you remember just how awful that was. And uh, so I was doing that and and and, uh, and kind of like getting to know crypto somewhat. and, and then I kind of had a decision to make um, towards the end of 2019. Cause like there was nothing left for me to do at at that family office. And so I kind of like lost my job. Mm-hmm. And um it was kind of like decision time for me whether I wanted to go, you know, try and you know crawl back to, to my old banking job or or uh or stick around in crypto and try and figure something out. And like and and at that time um compound, I remember compound very clearly was like Actually doing something, you know, it was like actually having some success, and it was like one of the like, you know, DeFi back then was like the only thing that actually worked at all um, on on Ethereum, and so, I uh, I was like, all right, I think DeFi is going to be a big thing, and um, I think that right now it's in like a very early state, and all the borrowing and lending is at variable rates, only variable rates. And so I thought, okay, the next logical step for DeFi is going to be to be able to borrow and lend at fixed rates. Hmm. Um, and so I um, moved to San Francisco, uh, met my partner Jeff, like actually, literally the first day I was in San Francisco, met him at a hackathon, and we started Notional, like basically right there. And That's and amazing. so Notional is a fixed rate lending protocol on Ethereum.
1: That's amazing. Wow, that's some journey. Okay, so we're going to take some steps back and kind of like go through it step by step. Okay, so um, London, I lived in London before and people who I knew in banking always complained about, well, they complained about how just intense the work was in in terms of like the number of hours required. And the culture very much was like, you know, work really, really hard and party hard, play hard, and then get burned out after a few years, right? Like that was kind of like the cycle, like, you know, the industry would kind of spit you up and chew you out. Do you did you get much of that? Like, what was it that took you to London to begin with? Because you've got an American accent. I guess you know you were born and raised in the U.S. Like, what what took you to London? Is if if that's right? Like, what took you to London? Why London? And how was your time there? Other than the horrible banking culture and work? Uh, yeah.
0: Um. So I uh uh. So I am American. You're right. Um. And basically, the reason I went to London uh, was, so I went to university of Wisconsin, um, for my undergrad and I like, didn't, you know, I didn't really, when I was, uh, when I was a young, you know, I was like 18 and applying to colleges. I hadn't really like, I wanted to go to a party school, (laughs) like that was like my priority at that time in my life. And I I hadn't really thought about like what I was going to do in a career or anything like that. And um, it wasn't until I was uh, maybe like 20 or 21. So like sophomore, maybe sophomore, junior um, mm-hmm. in college before I, like, I realized that I, I wanted to be a trader, right? And um, now the issue was that uh, to be a trader, um, it, you know, you had to work for one of these like big banks, right? Mm-hmm. And um, uh, they did not recruit from my school. Um, so so going to University of Wisconsin, it wasn't a place where they like uh, they really didn't consider candidates for like being traders from from my school. Um, and so I tr- like. I tried to find a way around that. So what I did is like. I studied abroad at the London School of Economics, um, which is like a for in London is like a notorious like feeder school for these banks right and then from 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 that i i got sort of a i got an internship at barclays because i was at the london school of economics and then they offered me a job and so i ended up just staying there um
1: that, that's yeah. what i did my master's too so yeah that's right yeah i did my master's in LSE when i was there for just over a year it was it was really cool so there were wonderful yeah. times back then but yeah that's really cool yeah that totally makes sense like everyone at lse wants to be a banker bro right so yeah, yeah it totally basically. works yeah that, yeah that's um oh nice that's really really great but okay so that that's how you got to london how was how was your time in london like what what was that like
0: uh london i mean i actually really like london so i i miss it you know i i, I will say that um so i lived there for I think like six years mm-hmm. and uh you know I moved back uh like 2019 and so it's it's been a while and you know I've been living in America again for for four years uh and I don't I I I don't think I could ever like live live in another country ever again mm-hmm. um just I I uh I think at this point you know like I just I love being in America I feel very comfortable here mm-hmm. um and um but I am very, very glad that I lived there. You know, I like went is like something so cool about London is like it's so close to all these other countries. And so I would, you know, I've been to like every country in Europe and I I traveled a lot and um, I just had like, yeah, I would say I had just a really good experience. You know, like I met a lot of people that I would never have met um, if I hadn't lived outside of the country. And like, I think it is something as an American. Uh you really don't like you don't realize how much your universe is so Mm america-centric and how much it is not like that anywhere else in the world basically you know absolutely um yeah so it was like it was a very valuable experience definitely yeah
1: so when you were at barclays and you were like a trader um i guess you know you said you were doing that through the the peak of the not previous but the previous bull market before that wow um how was the atmosphere at barclays at the time when people talked about crypto like when do you when did you first start hearing people talking about crypto um in in that in that period in that bull run do you remember
0: yeah i i don't remember the exact time Mm -hmm. it was sometime i want to say summer 2017 yeah uh i remember like I remember i was paying attention when like uh i don't know bitcoin was like it it had like made its first run up to 8k and then and then there was big news like china bans bitcoin like it was one of those right and that was the first time i'd ever seen that and and uh you know and then bitcoin immediately dumped like 50 percent, right and then and then like three days later it went all the way back right and i just uh, it was just, like, so, I don't know, was, you know, it was just so crazy. Um, and so I think, yeah, and <clears throat> I, I guess, like, there's there's lots of talk about, like, you know, people thought it was cool, but, like, nobody knew, like, why, like, what it was for, or, like, nobody could, like, rationalize or justify it. And, like, yeah. I couldn't either, you yeah. know, but, like, I just thought that, like... There was something to it. And I didn't really have any real reason for thinking that, I guess. Uh, it was just sort of like a, a gut instinct. I don't know.
1: So what were, what were people at Barclay saying about it? Like, were you talking to people at work about it? Were they talking to you yeah. about it? What kind of ideas did they have?
0: Uh, I mean, you know, to me, most people just thought it was bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, there wasn't, like, uh, there wasn't a lot of interest outside of, like, you know, like, they were annoyed that they didn't make that much money Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. that's pretty much it
1: (laughs) that's fine and then what who were you talking to in that period like as you got more and more interested going you know from the summer of 2017 into like quitting your job basically like you know a very like it might have been boring and intellectually stunted for you but it's a very prestigious job right in the u.s in the uk being like a trader well it has its controversies of course you know with the 2008 crash and everything but it's a prestigious job like what made you reach the point where you quit that to take a leap into crypto trading professionally. Like how, how did that happen?
0: Uh, yeah. I mean, I honestly, like, like to me, like it didn't even, I yeah, I was, I, I like, I really wanted it. I just really, really wanted it. You know, it was like, and, uh, um, it didn't feel like that much of a risk, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like looking back on it, you know, I know it was, but it just—I don't know what to say. Like I didn't. Va- like you say, it's like a super prestigious job and all that, and like it is, but I just didn't care that much, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like it's like okay, it's prestigious, but like if you don't enjoy it, like who cares? You know, like I didn't. Yeah, like it didn't matter to me. I don't know. Yeah,
1: that's fine. Yeah. That makes sense. So, um what was the trading job? Like uh, the crypto trading job? Like, how did Mm -hmm. you find it? What did you do? What was your day to day job there?
0: Yeah, so uh, I was. um, uh, So I found it through a headhunter. So I think the way it happened was, I don't remember exactly. But um, I had a I had another friend uh, who had left Barclays. And I think he was doing something with crypto too. I don't I don't remember exactly, but he uh, he like forwarded me to this headhunter, and I I uh, talked to the headhunter. Then I met then I met my boss, my my then boss, which who was a um, he was like one he was like an old uh, he was like in a, you know an English guy in his fifties who'd been like a big deal in the city of London uh, when he was a younger guy. Um, and, uh, I don't remember it exactly. Cause like he was like head of some investment banking thing that like no longer exists. Um, but like, he was like a big deal in the city and, yeah. and he had had this, uh, this like crypto brokerage business mm-hmm. and, um, he wanted, you know, like he was very, uh, he thought it was like really cool. And he like, he was like super into crypto and, and uh, he thought it was like just a tremendous opportunity. And, and you know, it's like, there's a little bit of euphoria there, um, but uh, he wanted to build out that business, right? So like what they had been doing was um, when, when their customers come to buy and sell, they were basically uh, um, back to backing the, the customer's order to like a market maker um, and he wanted to hire me to um, like be our own market maker. Right. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so like, and try and build that business and, you know, just execute trading strategies like across the different exchanges and liquidity venues in crypto at the time. Um, so that's what I did. So I was, you know, like uh like an OTC market maker at that firm. And I also like, um, I did like some of the cross exchange you know arbitrage stuff um like i I actually learned to code, which was kind of a cool thing about about that time. so i you know like I, I wanted to to learn how to code and and so what i and like i didn't I didn't know how. and so I actually like built like I learned to code by like building the like algorithmic trading system nice. um, which was like it was it was like a good experience. it was like a really bad like, I wasn't any good at it. <laughs> it wasn't a good algorithmic trading system, but it was like, it was really helpful to me. Um, and so we, we basically, you know, I, we basically did that. And then over the course of like the next year and a half, like everything died and like all the opportunities dried up. Yeah, uh, And so there just kind of like, wasn't that much of a business to build. Um, and then, so we part of ways, like, towards the end of 2019 you know
1: yeah that was that so what cryptos were you were you trading or you market making for like what were the ones that people wanted back then uh it was primarily like
0: btc and ETH.
1: yeah it's the same as now basically pretty much with some other flavors that get thrown in once in a while but those those it makes sense that those are the ones people wanted um I, th- I thought there might be the chance you'd say, like, Litecoin or Bitcoin Cash or those ones that <laughs> were around back then. But There was there yeah. was a little bit of,
0: like, we, we did a little bit in Bitcoin Cash around the, um, uh, there was that, there was the whole fork drama, mm-hmm. right? When, when uh, was that the Bitcoin, was that the Bitcoin Cash fork? Or was it the BS, Do you remember BSV? Yeah,
1: BCHABC and Satoshi's Vision. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was that whole thing. Yeah. And
0: so we like, yeah, we made some money on that.
1: I remember that. Yeah. And then when you quit, did you know what was like, you would, were you just going back into like the, let the waves or the currents of the crypto world take you to where you were going to go? Like you said, you went to a hackathon, you met Jeff there. What, what, you to the hackathon like what what were you thinking at that time
0: yeah um okay so that was like kind of a long i mean so basically like at that time um i didn't have a job Mm -hmm. and i was like i really really did not want to go back to my previous career you know like i i'd had i'd had people um you know my former boss and like other people like at barclays like basically offering offering me job or offering me my job back and like i just i really did not want to do it now i didn't like have anything else to do you know yeah. so like i i uh but i i wanted to i wanted to figure something out because i i liked being in crypto i liked the industry and i like the people and i liked the feeling of like you know um like freedom was very important to me it, mm-hmm. freedom is very important to me and like i think that's like just like a very fundamental value in crypto that people yeah. everyone shares and like it's just uh and so i wanted to stay you know and like so i i thought about like okay um i was thinking about defi and thinking about different business ideas and like i like i said i thought fixed rates made a lot of sense and and um at the time there was like no one in defi there's there like five people you know and so like I went to, I went to like a Web3 conference in Berlin, right? And I met the guy, the one guy that was like doing anything related to interest rate derivatives, who was like, his name was Kyle Kissner. So he was the, um, he was the founder of BZX. I met, I met that guy at, uh, at a conference and like, it really like, and so just meeting, you know, seeing that it was such a small number of people and like it was so permeable, like it was, I was able to meet all these people. Like I just felt like, you know, I needed, a, like I needed a technical co-founder and like I could, I could do it, you know, like we could like start this thing and like raise some amount of money and we could give it a try, you know, like, and um, yeah, so I, And I really, I wanted to do that. And like, I just thought, I thought that would be the coolest thing. And uh, so I knew that the place to meet that guy was going to be San Francisco. And so I packed everything up, like everything that I owned in like two suitcases and uh, just, just flew London to San Francisco Um, on the the eve of the Cosmos hackathon. And then I met Jeff at the hackathon
1: that's so cool okay so 2019 like there was so much despair in the crypto market right and like you know we had the low of 2018 and then we were kind of hoping that we were coming out of it but then it just felt like it was unrelenting it was just like the the bear market brutal a brutal bear market right like uh, there was maker that was kind of doing stuff like you said compound was starting to do stuff but it was so small like it's, it's really interesting that, you know, you were able to find that spark of something and just kind of latch onto it and it turning into like a ball of lightning. Um, what was it like to kind of like grow in the DeFi space in 2019 before the vast majority of people in crypto even knew what DeFi was? Like, how was that feeling? Did you feel like you were out on in like the wilderness or did you feel like you were trailblazing? Like what was going on? Uh, I actually
0: like... <clears throat> so i would say a couple things so one one thing is like i was not on twitter at that point yeah um and i only ever got twitter because like i needed it to you know for like a professional thing once i started notional but like before that i was never on twitter and so like you know when people talk about oh the sentiment was so bad like i was also like just too busy to like like i didn't feel that because i wouldn't feel that bad because i was just like busy like working and uh um so I it I I never really felt that bad I guess uh and then and it was kind of nice in 2019 like um when I went to San Francisco because the community was so small like I was immediately able to just meet all the people you know like the like so I remember like I I had a very early version of the idea and like I just went into the compound office and like talked about it with Robert Leshner and like um yeah yeah and it was just like very very yeah it was, so that was like nice you know like and and it was just yeah I so I I really like I like that time I guess I would say and 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 I, I sort of feel similarly now where it's like I, I I know that that sentiment is really bad but it's also like you know i've just been really really busy for like a long time so like i haven't even like I, I don't feel it as much and like um yeah i i if anything like i feel better i wouldn't i won't say i feel better but like uh i i would say i'm like countercyclical you know in the sense that like when things were going crazy in 2021 like i felt very very uncomfortable yeah um and uh now i just now it feels much more real you know and like there isn't any of the there's like less stress in a way like because it just yeah yeah i don't know
1: i i think um that like today um like just right now the sentiment in the in the market is kind of despairy at times and I find myself not even checking the prices anymore sometimes and just kind of getting on with it. You know what I mean? Like you've got something to do, you need to do it. And it, it's kind of becomes a distraction to do things other than what you're supposed to be doing in that moment. So I totally get that. Um, let's, uh, let's kind of talk a little bit about the, the beginning of Notional. So you went to, uh, first of all, a cos, uh, Cosmo, um, sorry, um, what was the hackathon that you went to? It was a Cosmos hackathon. Cosmos so hackathon, yeah. So yeah, how, come, how come how come we went to a Cosmos hackathon, not like an ETH hackathon? What was going on there?
0: I I don't even I don't even remember. <laughs> it, was just, it was just I'd made the decision to move, and then mm. like there was a like I uh, it just worked out that way. Yeah. Um, I think maybe ETH the some like the ETH hack like I probably would have gone to an ETH hackathon if that was an option, but yeah. Cosmos one was what we had. So.
1: That's totally cool. And then you met Jeff and like right away you knew that he was going to be your co-founder?
0: Uh yeah, I mean it was like um I we got along really well like yeah. immediately. Uh and and that was um that was just like honestly like such a stroke of luck. Like mm-hmm. um and that that was great. Like it was just uh we, you know, like we met and like we just just immediately clicked and like actually like incidentally he had the same, he wanted to do the same thing that I wanted to do. So he like just independently also was like, Oh, wouldn't it be cool if you could lend or borrow at a fixed rate instead of a floating rate. And, um, so, so Jeff is like, uh, uh, you know, Jeff is a Silicon Valley engineer. So he, um, (laughs) yeah, he like, uh, he worked at Lassian and, and um, uh, he was like a product manager at Splunk after that. And like, he was just like, he like had all the talent uh, and just knew all the things that I didn't know, you know? And so we just, we complimented each other really well and, and uh, you know, just, just got along really well. So I think it's, it's been a, it's been a really great partnership ever since then.
1: So how soon was it after meeting him and like getting to know him that, like, then the process for starting notional began like uh what were the early days like what kind of discussions were you guys having
0: uh I mean, the early days i mean the early days are like just really exciting like because it you know back you know when, when it when it just starts it's like it could be anything you know and it's just like it's you're just you're talking about ideas and like you don't actually have to do any real work yet uh so it's like uh <clears throat> it was it was cool and like i think the for the early days, I was most focused on um so we so I met Jeff like November 1st. Um, and like at that time, uh, and I remember it because like I I, I flew over on Halloween. So um on, on that time, I was sort of busy like getting the lay of the land, you know, mm-hmm. like who was doing what um like trying to understand how venture capital worked in in crypto and just like who the people were and like how I could access them and like get in touch with them and all that stuff and so I think in in yeah like in the very early days I was focused on how do we get into this sort of like group of people that like and make some connections that, that will eventually allow us to like uh you know raise money and and also just like talk to people who like know something about like about the user base and like trip and like the market and just because it was like it, it you know and i think it still is today but like especially at that time it felt like DeFi like who actually was using this stuff was completely inscrutable like i had no idea like who was actually doing it why were people actually borrowing? Like it was like, it was very like, it's like very opaque, you know? Um, and so I wanted to sort of, you know, meet people that, that would actually, that actually knew, you know? And so um, one of the first things we did was uh, we got into this crypto startup school uh, that from H16Z. Um we did we did two things like that. We did we we did like a crypto startup school with A16z and we did a uh it was like we did some accelerator from Polychain. Um and so like those were the two things that kind of got us into the and helped us make connections that that led to our first round of funding. That's yeah.
1: amazing. So okay so you were getting ready to go for your first round of funding and then covid happens and the whole of like the u.s goes on lockdown how was how was that time like the markets are collapsing everyone thought like you know the world is ending pretty much you know yeah. we when in, in the march of 2020 like crypto goes down 50 percent in a day the stock market like is just never seen those kind of losses ever before like that <laughs> must have felt like the worst possible time for you guys to be trying to start a company like what was what were you thinking at the time
0: yeah i mean uh it, I mean, it wasn't great. Um, I was like worried like that, like we weren't going to be, cause like we were like at the time, I think we we're, if we weren't fundraising yet, we were like gearing up for it. Mm. Um, and I was worried that we weren't going to be able to raise and like, how, what are we going to do? Um, yeah. And then, it, and then I remember, and, and also like, so I just moved to San Francisco and like, I didn't know anybody there really yeah. except for, except for Jeff. Uh, and then like everything got locked down and like, it was, so like, I just, on a personal level, it was like a horrible, horrible time. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, um, yeah, I remember it was like not the best. Um, but uh, you know, but I, I mean, obviously in, in hindsight, like it completely turned around and it turned out to be a great time. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. It's, it's like an early lesson in like just how quickly market conditions can change.
1: Absolutely. Okay. So then uh, once, you know, the COVID stuff was getting a little bit calmer and the market seemed to be like responding well, then uh, we had um, sushi swap, uh, vampire attacked Uniswap, and the food token mania started and this was the beginning of like DeFi summer, right? Twenty twenty. You were working on the DeFi project. You were trying to get one off the ground. Like, did you feel like you were right at time? Did you feel like you were too early? You'd missed it. Like, what what kind of stuff were you thinking around that kind of time?
0: Yeah. Um. So, I I had the general. I remember. Okay, so there are I think a lot of. A lot of emotions. Uh, what, one thing I remember pretty clearly was like, I was too busy to like participate. So I feel like even though, yes, I was like working on a DeFi protocol, like full-time in crypto, I like didn't feel like I actually experienced DeFi summer because I didn't like do any of the things, you know, because like I was just busy working on Notional, you know, yeah. like I a job and like, I was like full-time doing the job. And like both Jeff and I were just like, working like really hard on Notional and like, we didn't have the time to like participate. And uh, so I, in that sense, I felt like I missed it because like, I wasn't like, I wasn't really involved. Um, uh, And then I think, you know, we, so we launched the first version of Notional, like the, the very, the V1 in like October or November of 2020. So mm-hmm. it was after DeFi summer, but it was still like pre, you know, major bull market, yeah. um, but we didn't have a token. Yeah. So like, uh, and i remember like, and like, it was too, like, everyone thought it was the right thing to not have the token when we first planned to have not have the token in April. Yeah. And then DeFi summer happened. And like, it was too late to like, but it was too late to put the token on onto what we were doing. And, um, and, and so I did, you know, I also felt like we kind of missed, you know, missed it there too. Right. And then all of 2021, I was just like really, really busy. And, uh, and then we launched it like we launched Notion V2 and the token at the end of 2021. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like right at the top. Like I think it was like it it, it might have been the absolute tippy, tippy top the same day like we launched our token. And then it was just like, so we missed the whole thing. And then, but like we did not miss the downside, I'll tell you that. Uh <laughs> yeah. So that was uh, yeah. So that was that was an experience. Yeah.
1: Let's, let's let's come back and talk about that next but um what was it like so when notional v1 launched what do you think was some of like the groundbreaking um, attributes of notional v1 that other like people in the market weren't doing or were there were there other people in the market doing the same thing at that time like um how do you feel like you know your launch went um in in 2020
0: yeah <clears throat> so um okay so, I think that what we found pretty immediately, um, I would all right. So I would say like there there were a number of things that we learned from the launch. So so the V one was a very rudimentary version of Notional. Um, it did the, th- the thing. You could borrow and lend fixed, um, but uh, uh, there there were a lot of there were a lot of problems. Um, and so we sort of recognized some of those problems and fixed them in V2. Um, but, what, you know, one of the major things we, uh, so one of the major issues, um, and I'll try to like not talk too much about technical stuff.
1: Okay. Um, so like
0: one of the, the major business issues was that we did not have a token. And at the time, everyone was like launching tokens and like yields were ridiculous. And so you think about like in the market, if you're, like, you're just not a competitive, like, you're just not competitive at all, right? If you're not subsidizing when everyone else is, like, crazily subsidizing. And so that was something, you know, where we were just, like, we were behind, right? And, like, there's no way, yeah. Or
1: why, why, why didn't you have a token? We didn't have a token because, like,
0: there was, like, uh, I don't, like, we... I don't remember exact, the exact details, but like, you know, I think, um, there was, it was a mix of like technical and legal considerations.
1: Cool. at the, yeah. yeah. Um, and,
0: and it was like, you know, and it was also, again, as I said, like we had started the thing and like, we're midway, th- like through the development of Notional V1. Uh, at a time when nobody had a token right so like you, you like people only started to have tokens in like June July August of 2021 yeah. and we were basically done with Notional v1 at that time so it was kind of like late we you know like uh anyway um so we did not have a token for Notional v1 uh and <clears throat> which was kind of like you know, there are some things about it. Some things about Notion v one we knew needed to change um, and we changed them. But it was also like, because we didn't have the token and didn't have like a ton of liquidity, we really didn't have much of a sense for whether people would want what we built Yeah. Uh, if we if we'd had liquidity. And yeah. so that was like a, that was a tough thing. And we really only learned that after Notional v2 was launched, hmm. right? Because at that time we did have the token and liquidity incentives. We got a bunch of liquidity and we were able to learn, you know, what people actually wanted to do on Notional. Um, and so, yeah, so, yeah.
1: How, How? okay, so you knew that you know version one had limitations, so you spent a lot of 2021 working on fixing that, right? With version two that was going to come out. Um, how did, like, the launch happened, and you you kind of timed the top of the market with the with the launch? How yeah. how did that go for you guys? Like, how was that feeling? Uh, of kind of the token just exploding on launch and it, it, it being wild. The price chart like literally was i think beyond anyone's wildest wildest expectations at the time right like what was going through your mind there like was it like what what color lambo should i buy it was like what what on earth (laughs) is happening here like this this is just like crazy this isn't real like you know where where were you on that spectrum
0: yeah um i i would say it was extremely stressful uh i i think um yeah we i you know uh, there, I'm sorry. there are a lot of there are a lot of things. So, so we um, we launched it on November first, twenty twenty one, and we didn't have liquidity for it, so it wasn't tradable at that time, um, initially, and but it was being pumped out by liquidity incentives, and so immediately we got like, you know, people in the Discord like yelling at us like. Like just incredible, like just being extremely insistent on like, hey, you have to get, you have to get this trade, and like these guys that you know just came in and like they're yelling at us and like, and it was it was really stressful because it's like you think about it and it's like these are our customers, like you like you feel like as a founder, like you know, like you want to please your customers, like you want to like be attentive to their needs, right? and um so i and i didn't you know and so like we tried to do that and like we're and like it's sort of like looking back on it it's like these guys were like trying to take advantage of us and like and so it's like i didn't really realize that at the time um and so like i was we were falling all over ourselves like try and do what they wanted us to do you know when when what they wanted ultimately was to like you know, be in, you know, have the token, sell the token and just be out. And like, they had no interest in notional at all, right? Um <clears throat> And like, I didn't realize that. And like, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that like, I, I didn't know that that's what was happening. Yeah. And so it was, it was very, uh, it was extremely stressful. Um, and then, and, you know, and then once we did list it for, for uh, uh, once it got listed and you could trade it, then it was even more stressful because like there was such a low float and that was not intentional um uh, or like we i mean we didn't think about it you know yeah. and uh, uh there was such a low float uh that like people were buying it and they were just buying it at prices which were just absolutely absurd which mm-hmm. never made sense and like i don't understand like i had no and it just to me like that was very like uh, it made me extremely anxious because <laughs> like I, you know, we're not responsible for their profit and loss from their trading and investing, but like it it uh, it made me very, very anxious. Um, just seeing people buy the token at like such a high price that like it, it, the implied uh, fully diluted valuation was like $2.3 billion. And like at the time it's like, <laughs> Like I was sitting there as the founder and it's like, I haven't like actually talked to one person who's like used this and like gotten any value out of it. And I couldn't really tell you what our like killer value proposition is, you know, an hour worth 2.0. It like didn't make any sense, you know? Uh, And then so, and then inevitably like that the token came down all of 2022 and that was also extremely stressful (laughs) because like you had all those people like, just like, you know, just on your, on your back constantly. Um, and so, you know, we were just working extremely, we're doing everything we could, but it's also like we were doing what we thought was in the best long-term interest of the protocol. And yeah. that, that is not what they wanted. You know, not,
1: they wanted their yeah. banks to be pumped basically. So yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that value misalignment definitely doesn't help when, people don't get what the work that you're trying to do the long the long-term vision of the work you're trying to do they just care about them the money and uh, as the price goes down they just get they get Mm -hmm. more and more anxious that feeds your anxiety that must have been horrible in a sense like i can't imagine that um do you think it distracted you from like the work that you were doing around version two or were you still able to like put your head down and carry on working
0: uh, no, I mean, like, I would say it like raised the stress levels, but it it wasn't. We didn't allow it to distract us. You know, it was sort of like, I mean, in some sense, maybe like I, you know, because every day, basically every day, I was in Discord. Every every day, I was in Discord, spending at least you know an hour or two talking with people that were mad about the price going down. Yeah. So that was like every day for 2022. Yeah. Um, so I guess maybe it did distract a little bit, but like it, it's like we, we didn't let it like change our, like what we wanted to do. Yeah. And uh, so it, like, I don't think it was uh really super detrimental or anything.
1: Yeah. Great. That's good. Okay. So, um, you know, we talked a little bit about what lessons you learned from version one. Um, What were some of the lesson, lessons you learned from the launch of version two? Like um, what, what went well? What do you think was not as well as it could have been? Like what, what kind of things were you guys talking about at the time?
0: Yeah. Um, so I think the really version two was when we first started to understand like how people wanted to use notional and, and also like how they did not want to use it, you know? Um, <clears throat> so version two was basically compound or but with fixed rates. Right. Um, and, uh, So I'll start with the positive things that we learned. So what, one, one of the, one of the big differences, uh, between version one and version two was what was that we made the, um, being a liquidity provider fully passive. Um, so, so just, uh, there are, let me so just a quick, some notional, there are three user groups, there's lenders and borrowers, and then there's liquidity providers. Right. So liquidity providers like sit in the middle and like enable people to borrow and lend at a fixed rate. Um, So in version one, providing liquidity was a very active process because you had to choose a certain fixed rate maturity. And then you had to like roll your liquidity forward when that that maturity like matured. So it's like you had to like be on top of it. You had to pick a maturity and who knew what maturity to pick. Yeah. You know, and like, and it was like, it asked a lot from liquidity providers. And so in V2, we introduced these things called end tokens, which are essentially automated. It's like a, it's like a wrapper, like a portfolio manager that automates that process yeah. for people and makes it fully passive. And like that worked like that, like is what people wanted. People integrated other protocols integrated with it, like that, that works. Um, The so and then now like the bad stuff, right? So what we found was that people did not want a bear compound with fixed rates. Like uh because so specifically from um okay so for a few reasons. So on the lender side, um, people were, didn't really want to fix their rate of interest for a long time because they felt like the, uh, the optionality of, of their capital was very high. Like there are all these other things that maybe they wanted to go do with it instead of like leaving it somewhere. Right. Um, And then, so we learned that we learned that <clears throat> on the borrower side, basically nobody really cared about borrowing at a fixed rates um, because like, and, and the reason why is like, you have to understand why people were borrowing. And it's like something that we just like literally didn't know until like, uh, you know, mid 2022 <laughs> you think about it, like well, like we'd been around for a long time but like we, because we hadn't like had a product that had enough liquidity where people could really use it like we didn't really know whether people wanted it or not right and like so the reason why people didn't really care um was because basically at that time the only reason anybody was borrowing was uh you know like i'd have some ETH. I borrow USDC against it, and then I go like either go Levered Long or I go trade, you know, uh, altcoins, or I go like ape into some crazy degen yield farm, right? Mm-hmm. That's what people actually did uh, with the capital that they borrowed. Um, now, the thing is, so you just think about that you just think about that user journey right so when you go borrow USDC against your ETH, and you you know you're using it to like punch shit coins like you're either gonna like make a thousand x or you're gonna like lose everything right and so whether you borrow at three percent or five percent it does not matter. <laughs> like it just doesn't matter. Yeah. And and Avan compound were easy to use. They're open term. You didn't have to worry about a maturity. There wasn't any of this additional complexity. So like for that use case, <clears throat> like, uh, variable rate is just better. You know, and like and we didn't know that at the time. So we learned that, right? Um, yeah, and so. Going on from that, like it inspired the the next the next things that we did, right? So once we learned that, uh, we were thinking about okay, so what is something where a fixed rate of interest is actually useful, like where it really matters to that that uh, you be able to borrow at a fixed rate, right? And so we came up with this product called Leveraged Vaults. So that was like the the next big product that we launched. We launched that in uh, the end of uh, 2022, around the end of 2022. Yeah. <clears throat> and what this product is, it allows you to, it allows the user to borrow uncollateralized from, uh, so it allows the user to borrow from Notional directly to a smart contract that executes a specific DeFi yield strategy. Okay, So an example of this uh, is like, you have 10 ETH, you come to Notional and you deposit your 10 ETH and borrow 50 ETH. And then Notional takes the 10 ETH you deposited and the 50 ETH you you borrowed and sticks it into a vault. um, And that vault takes the 60 ETH and puts it into the balancer, wrap state ETH pool, and then stakes the LP tokens on Aura and then sells the incentives, right? So essentially you are getting a leveraged, That's a it's a leveraged yield strategy, right? You are getting leveraged exposure to the returns of a specific DeFi yield strategy. And the reason why like this makes sense for fixed rates is because that yield strategy might be yielding 7%. Right. So now the difference between borrowing at 5% or borrowing at 10% really matters, right? Because if you're 7X levered and your interest rate on on your borrow goes up by 1%, your entire total APY gets crushed by like 7%,
1: right?
0: So like being able to fix your borrow rate, like really, really helps in that uh, scenario, um, so we, we launched that and we had like a lot of success um, and then that kind of led us, you know, further down the line to to Notional V3, which we can talk about, um, you know, whenever you're ready.
1: <laughs> Let's talk about it right now. So yeah. um, tell me um, how did <clears throat> you go from the vaults then to the idea of V3 and like what lessons that you've learned from one, two and the vaults have you kind of used as the foundation of V3 like how how's that come about
0: yeah um so okay so the big sort of technical difference in notional V3 it's it's still borrowing and lending at fixed rates um we still have leveraged vaults um the the big sort of technical difference is we now have variable rate lending and borrowing as well right Um, and this is like a really important, a really, this like rounds out the entire product offering and it like makes, it makes the products usable, like really usable in a way that they were not before. And so the reason, you know, you think about, okay, so leverage vault, um, you borrowed a fixed rate and you put the money into the vault and the vault goes and earns the yield. Uh, now on notional B2 because we because we do not have a variable rate lending and borrowing, you get when your borrow matures, your entire position is settled. It's closed. We we can't keep it open, right? Um, and that is like just really, really bad UX. And it makes like notional effectively unusable at scale. Um, and so like we had to fix that. And so with notional B3, like your any like your fixed rate, whether it's a fixed rate land or fixed rate borrow, you know, whether on notional proper or via leverage fault, um, when it matures, it just auto flips over to a, uh, a variable rate, right? That's- um, so that's like a much better UX, and it means that like it can actually make sense. For you to like use these products uh and like the you know the ux hurdles um are manageable uh so like that was uh that's a a big improvement that we had to make and then on the other side for uh variable rate lenders you know just the addition of the variable rate lending uh product in notional it gives us a way to appeal to someone who just wants like the passive lending opportunity that only goes up they don't have to worry about sort of mark to market PL on their fixed rate lending position that their their profit only goes up they can pull it out anytime it's really simple and that's like most people when they lend that's what they want and so it allows us to like address just like the majority of the user base, in a way that we just couldn't previously, right? Um, <clears throat> and it like makes it makes it really a lot easier for integrations. So something that Notional has always had a problem with, or Notional V two, um, you know, was integrations because because fixed rates are so different. So everything is geared towards variable rates and everything is built around it. And the fact that we didn't have something that was like basically the same interaction as like compound Rave meant that we could not integrate um, with people that we really wanted to and would have been really beneficial to the business. Um, so Notion v 3 fixes these issues. And then I think what is also, in my opinion, equally important is it allows us so I think Notional B3 is basically like the core protocol is basically done, right? So it allows us to focus on growth instead of core protocol development. So that's like more currency listings, more leverage vault strategies, and just like it, it allows us to do that instead of like uh, uh, working on like the core protocol. And that's, I think, equally as important.
1: Yeah. Nice. That's such a great achievement. Congratulations. So where do you stand now with, version three, um, where in its uh, production cycle is it?
0: Um, Yeah, so V3, it has, uh, we shipped it to the auditors earlier this year and we got it back a few months ago. Uh, So we've done all the fixes uh, according to the audit. It is currently live on Arbitrum in a testing capacity. So the UI is not yet live, but the smart contracts are live. Um, and really basically all that's left now between now and launch is, uh, getting the UI ready. Um, and, and it's almost there. Um, so I think maybe, you know, by the time, well, I'm not sure when, when this is going to air, but I think it'll be close to the launch of our beta on Arbitrum. Um, so, so, you know, we expect to launch the Arbitrum beta in mid September, give or take. Uh, and then the full public launch of V3 on Ethereum mainnet and Arbitrum, uh, maybe six weeks after that.
1: Wonderful. So yeah, it'll be the launch will be beta launch will be next week. So <laughs> come from when this goes out and then, um, you'll have the launch basically at the end of October or something like that on, on mm-hmm. mainnet, which is really exciting. And I think that's going to be so much fun now. Um, Tell me about um, some of the things that you're doing to kind of get people um, ready and excited about uh, Notional Version Three, and um, how how you're kind of bringing in different communities to take part in that launch.
0: Yeah, <clears throat> so uh, we're doing something new which we've never really which we've never really done before. We like so, uh, uh, and I'm actually very excited. So so. Um, as I said, we're starting the launch of Notion of V3 with like an invite-only beta on Orbitrum. Um and while we run this beta, we're also going to have a trading contest, or it's a sorry, a, a yield contest. So uh, we're gonna have prizes and um NFTs. And I think like the the pictures, uh, the NFTs are gonna be pretty cool. I'm I'm looking forward. I haven't seen the final versions yet, but I'm excited to see them. And, and basically, this yield contest, uh, yeah, we're gonna offer like pretty significant prizes in note. Um, and um, we're offering three prizes. We're offering a prize for the person that gets the highest realized APY over the contest using leverage. Um, that's that's the ace. Uh, the the next prize, sort of prize number two, is the the fat cat who gets like the highest APY without using leverage. And then we also have a prize for the dunce. So the, the person who, who loses the most money also gets a prize. Nice. Uh, yeah. Um, so I'm excited. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. We're going to have, you know, as I said, we have the NFTs. We're going to have a leaderboard. Um, and uh, I'm, you know, I'm excited about that. And and we're also, you know, we're giving out um, at like a, the as you know, the beta is going to be NFT gated, so we're going to have a separate NFT for sort of passes to the beta, and you know we're giving giving out these passes, and we're also going to have a referral program. So uh, when we, if you sign up for our beta and and we give you a pass, we're actually going to give you like five or ten, and then you can hand them out to your friends, and uh, if one of your friends wins the contest you get an extra 50 percent of the prize for referring that person so it's just like just a little like um it just gives you some reason to actually you know uh to actually give them to somebody who might who might be interested in participating
1: nice that's really cool okay so um one of the things i'm really excited about and that really piqued my interest with notional was the fact that you are integrating our eth and rpl uh, from day one of version three um, tell me a little bit about, um, how we can use our ETH on Notional, Notional version three.
0: Yeah. So I think like the, the R ETH integration is going to be, uh, is going to be great. I'm excited. And, and I think it's going to offer really interesting opportunities for people that hold our ETH. Um, so kind of the way I'm thinking about it is, is it's, you know, if you hold our ETH and you're, you know, maybe you're thinking about like, I want to, What's something else I can do with it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, on, just on a very basic level, you'll be able to deposit RE this collateral on Notional and and borrow against it. Um, but what I think is more interesting is, uh, you know, if you're looking around trying to figure out how to earn extra yield on your RE, you can use RE in some of the leverage yield strategies that we will have built purpose like uh, purpose built for RE. Right, so uh, let me just walk you through what one of these yield strategies is. Yes, please. Yeah, Um, so uh, our ETH, okay. So Rocket Pool like has a very strong incentive for our ETH to trade, uh, to be liquid and tradable um, for ETH. right? And because of that, they uh, incentivize RE ETH liquidity on platforms like Aura, yeah. right? Um, so currently, our like that RE ETH liquidity pool on Aura earns, I think, uh, on on Arbitrum, it's like eight percent APY, um, which is pretty good, right? Yeah. And it is especially good if you can get leverage on it, right? So, so the RE yield itself. Right now is I I believe roughly four mm-hmm. um, <clears> percent. <throat> so as an RE holder, you will be able to get leveraged exposure to that eight percent yield, and and I can walk you through like the total APY calculation, right? So <laughs> yeah, so so let's say you have ten RE, you come to Notional, you borrow fifty RE at let's say two percent fixed, yeah, right. So <clears throat> now you have 60 RE, and you're putting it into that uh, um, aura pool, right? And so, by the way, Notional does all of this for you. So I'm, I'm, I'm saying that you are doing these things yeah. just for illustrative purposes.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, <clears throat> yeah, so now you are earning 8% APY on 60 RE and paying 2% APY on 50 RE. So if you think about what's your total APY on your initial 10 RE, it is 8% plus 8% minus 2% times five. Okay. So that is 38% APY, right? Which is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Um, And That's that's for the guy that wants to do like the sophisticated leverage stuff. Um, But like, what's really cool about this is, one when, when people do the sophisticated leverage strategy, they're borrowing our ETH from Notional, yes. which means that our ETH interest rates are going up. Mm-hmm. So if you don't want to bother with all that, with all that complicated stuff, you can just lend your ETH on Notional yes. at a fixed or variable rate, and like get yield on top of the RETH staking rate, um, just for lending and and not doing anything other than
1: that.
0: Nice. Um, so yeah, so I think that's that's pretty cool. Yeah.
1: What are some of the risks involved with that strategy?
0: Um, yeah. So so basically, the risk the risk here is um, it's essentially there's two risks. So the first risk is like an REIT peg. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and actually, if you're borrowing REIT, that's less of a risk because if the REIT price goes down, you actually make money. So so your risk if you are borrowing RE-th, and putting it into this pool um, uh, your risk is actually that the price of arith goes up over the price of ETH. So you would lose money in that case um, because you're actually net short some REs. um yeah. So that is the risk. Uh, that's the major risk. And then the other risk is that the APY on the strategy does not beat the interest rate you pay to borrow from Notional. Yeah, um, And that's that's where the fixed rate really comes in handy, right? Uh, because like if you, you know, if, if you're borrowing from like uh, a money market that allows leverage strategies and you're borrowing at a variable rate, you, what happens is these money markets tend to run at high utilization. And so the borrow rate can spike and then all of a sudden you're like losing a bunch of money. But if you can fix your borrow rate, then you can like have a much sort of, safer and like more stable
1: leverage yield position. Nice. That's so cool. That's really exciting. Thanks for sharing that um, example. And um, some of the things that go with around that, Um, one of the things that really got me excited was the RPL integration that you guys are doing. Tell me a little bit about the RPL integration and what, how we'll be able to use RPL with Notional.
0: Yeah. So, so RPL um, we are going to list as collateral. Um, I, I noticed you, you said that we'd have it there day one. I think, I think we will like, I'm, I'm actually not 100% confident that we will, Mm -hmm. but we will definitely have RE, uh, day one and for the beta, um, RPL, we will not have for the beta, but we, uh, we might part way through and and we probably will for day one public launch. Um, but we are, yeah, so we're listing RPL as collateral. Um, and you'll be able to, uh, <clears throat> you'll be able to borrow against it and like, you know, get leverage on your assets and, and, you know, access more capital. Um, so it, it should be pretty straightforward. I think we have, we don't have like any current plans for like an RPL leveraged vault. Um, but, you know, I think that could be cool if we can, if we can think of something good.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, um, that's really exciting because there's actually not a single other product on the market right now that lets you borrow against your RPL. Um, can you tell me what some of the risks around that might be, Of if, if you are doing that on Notional, like how, 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 what would be some of the issues with that?
0: Yeah. So, <clears throat> so every asset that we list, you know, like um, undergoes like, uh, um, a risk analysis, mm-hmm. uh, and, and that's going to basically the outcome of that risk analysis is like how we set. Collateral haircuts, uh, liquidation discounts, uh, and then also just like total max capacities. Um, so, and and that's all based on liquidity. Now, like a very important thing that that RPL has in its favor uh, is that it has a chainlink oracle, mm-hmm. right? And that's like not only is that not only is chainlink like a generally like a good proxy for total liquidity of an asset like if, if it has a chain link Oracle, then it, it usually passes a, a liquidity threshold, mm-hmm. um, but it is also like critical in making sure that we can list it and we are not vulnerable to sort of Oracle manipulation attacks. Yeah. Um, so that's like, you know, that's like the number one killer for lending protocols, right? Um, yeah. So it's got a chain link Oracle, which is, which is big. And then really, once it has the chain link Oracle, um, it really just comes down to like how much liquidity is there and what's the max capacity we can offer. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's really, it's less a question of if we can list it and just how much we can allow, you know, so, so I I can't make promises about, about how much we'll be able to like what the total capacity is going to be, um, but we will have it. Yeah.
1: That's really exciting. Well, that I know is going to excite um, the Rocket Pool community because hopefully um, it'll be the start of other protocols and other other like teams thinking about RPL in a new way. Because our our ETH is integrated pretty much everywhere now. Like it's become like a DeFi uh, Lego like cornerstone piece, which is wonderful. You know because we think it's the best most pristine LST there is um, because of the the properties that it has with Rocket Pool itself, but um, RPL hasn't kind of seen that same level of integration. So with Notional being, you know, the first uh, protocol out there to uh, bring on RPL in that way, I think is really going to be exciting for, um, for uh, our community, especially. Um, tell me um, about how, um, you know, this period has been for you like working into version three and like um, all the work that's got into it how how has that been for you as an experience
0: um yeah and and so just first there's like a like just like a a a closing thought on on rpl you know i think it's like it's something that um you know like there's I, I would just say that it's like, you know, I think the Rocket Pool community is is like a great community and a very positive one for Ethereum. And um it's it's sort of like something we want to do to like build a you know a better relationship with the Rocket Pool community. So yeah. Um and and yeah, I think there's a lot of value in that. So um that's like last thing to say on RPL. And then as for, you know, you're you know talking about building in this period, um <clears throat> I would say that 2023 has been a tough, it's been, it's been a tough year and uh, it has been just a total grind. Um, So like,
1: you know, we've,
0: we've like really, when you look back on, I mean, we've been grinding for like four years, Um, but like, uh, but especially, I would say, especially this year has been tough because it's like, um, you know, like, it's been it's been a grind and like there's the backdrop of the market and like that doesn't affect me or i would say like i don't feel so bad but but now like as the co-founder of a company with employees um uh you know not everyone not everyone is like that you know so so like some people i think it really it does affect them and uh that's my problem, right? That's like my job. And, and so that has been a thing for me where it's like, I, you know, it's like how to, uh, you know, because the number one problem that a startup can have is like, if people stop doing stuff for whatever reason, right. Whether it's, whether it's because, you know, there isn't a strong direction or whether it's because they, you know, get disheartened or people quit or you know, all, all these things can really, can really sabotage a project, you know? And, and so I think that's been one of my, like the most important things that I've had to do is like try and keep everyone motivated and, and feeling good. And just like, and sharing my optimism about the market in general, like crypto and specifically what we're doing with Notional, um, and so that's, yeah, so that's, like, something that I haven't had to do before, um, and um, I think it's, you know, I think we've, we've done a good job, and and everyone on the Notional team has worked just incredibly hard, um, and, like, nobody, you know, we haven't lost anybody due to, nobody's quit, nobody's gotten, like, depressed and, and decided to go back to doing whatever they were doing before. Yeah. Um, yeah i think in general we've really hung together and like wonderful uh, it's been good yeah
1: yeah so what are your um like worst <clears throat> and best case scenarios for a potential bull run in 2024 2025 if that happens like do you think you'll be anxious again do you think you'll be able to enjoy it a little bit more this time like what what how do you see things going over the next like couple of years
0: um, I think a bull run in 2024, 2025 would be great because we'll finally be ready. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've I've felt late for, for years yes. and yeah. like and I think with v3 we're finally actually gonna be ready to yeah. take advantage of of a bull market. Um so I you know bring it on. Uh, uh I, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah.
1: I hope it works out for you that way. That would be really, really yeah, wonderful. Yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> is there anything, Teddy, that you'd like to add before we uh, you know, um, sign off on the call? Um, anything that you wanted to cover that we've missed or anything like that?
0: Uh no, I mean, I think that's I think that's about it. I, I think the the only thing I would add is like um, you know, if you're if you're interested in notional, uh you should definitely check out our beta and our trading contests or yield contests. I'll, by the time this airs, all the information is going to be out there, and 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 I think we can uh, stick like a sign up form in the in the show notes, and and uh, um, yeah, and so definitely sign up, and and it'll be like a good opportunity to sort of get a feel for Notional how it works, uh, and and maybe also win a bunch of notes.
1: That sounds great. Thank you so much Teddy. Thank you for representing Notional and thank you for building relationships with the Pill community and integrating our tokens like you know we we love when that happens so um we really appreciate that. Good luck with the with the beta and mainnet launch and um we'll be here cheering you guys on.
0: Okay, man. Thank you. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate that. And it was it was great to be on. Yeah. Wonderful.